0: Father God, I just pray that you will bless Mike as he delivers this word to you. For all the trials and tribulations he's been through, Lord God, we give you thanks and praise for his faithfulness and his true strength of character. Lord, just pray your blessing upon him now. In Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Oh, Good morning, everybody. It's nice to be with you from that position to this position. Um, So Adrian asked me to speak last week. he did his usual trick of give me probably the hardest passage of Scripture to preach on. So today we're going to continue in the book of Luke, and we're looking at Luke 21, and we're going to go from verse 5 to 38. There's quite a lot to, to read this morning, um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. This should cover the 40 minutes, actually. So some sort of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, "As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another, every one of them will be thrown down." Teacher, they asked, "When will these things happen, and what will be the sign that they are about to take place?" And he replied, "Watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming that I am He, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be be great earthquakes, famines and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors, all on account of my name. This will result in your being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words of wisdom, and that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. It's cheery, isn't it? It's it's, it's, a... all men, it goes on, all men will hate you because of me, but not a hair on your head will perish, By standing firm you will gain life. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let those in the city get out, and let those in the country not enter the city, for this is the time of punishment and in fulfilment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. and On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity. At the roaring and tossing of the seas, men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them this parable, look at this fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap, for it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Each day, Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each evening, he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. I've got to admit, I wouldn't want to go back after hearing that. I wouldn't want to go and say, so, what have you got for me next? Because that is quite, there's a lot of doom and gloom and all this sort of stuff. And there, there is an awful lot to take in in this fairly short passage. There, there's so much, there's so many theories that you can start to pull out of this and it would, we would be here till when this evening's service isn't going to happen if we were to try and get through all of that. So don't worry, we're not. <laughs> we're going to try and get through some things, though, because it's important. And Jesus uses all these words and this imagery, and it's, it's intense. I don't know about you, but when I read those things, you start to get a little bit nervous. You, you know, you're reading this stuff thinking, my goodness, what's... What is the world coming to? Quite literally, what is the world coming to? Um, th- this is by no means the easiest bit of, of, of Scripture or the Bible to to, to look at and study. We, there, there, like I say, there, there are theories about, um, you know, th- th- this part of the Bible is called the science of the end of the age. Well, that's what the little subtitle was in my Bible. And, you know, we we can spend hours and hours trudging through this thinking, right then, so is this about false teaching, false leaders, false prophets? And if it's about those things, you know, then what do we do with them? And if it's not about those, then, you know, it's got to be about Jesus. And, yeah, Jesus. So he said in here, he's going to come back. So when is he coming back? And is he really coming back? Because he sold this to the disciples 2,000 years ago, and he's still not come back. So is he busy? Or has he forgotten? Or, you know, has he just got other things to do right now? and, you know, is it, is it more to do with the desolation of the temple back in AD 70? And if it's to do with that, then what relevance has it got for us today? And you get to this point where you just think, yeah, what is it all about? You know, and, and did Larry Norman get it right when he started writing songs about the rapture and tribulation? And what's coming first? Is the rapture coming first or the great tribulation? You know, which order is it going to come? And there's this point where you just think, does it matter? <laughs> you know, is all this stuff... That's important. Now, I, for one, um, um, I, I love getting into debates about these sort of things. For me, it excites me because I'm slightly weird like that. I'm happy to go around to Ben Hicklin's house and put the world or the Bible to rights for hours <laughs> discussing theories and, you know, theologies and all that sort of stuff. And it's fun. It is fun. But there is this point where you get to the point and you think, what is it really about? You know, what is, what is Jesus really trying to say? So, we've, I've, uh, I've entitled this morning, just to keep us all cheery, the end is nigh. <laughs> or is it? Or is it? Um, so, back to the, to the start of this passage. It's quite a long passage. I recommend go home and read it again. Um, they, the disciples are walking past the temple. This is a picture of what the temple probably looked like back in the day, before its desolation and ruin. And it was Beautiful. It was built back in the days of Solomon and it was adorned with gold, silver, precious stones that the, the architect, architecture would have been second to none at all. God designed this himself. You can go way back into the Bible and see, you know, God's plans for the temple, what it's going to look like and all that sort of stuff. And it, it was fascinating. This building was absolutely unbelievable. And it's one of those things that, much like cathedrals today, I think I'd quite like to go and see it, just to have a look at the, this masterpiece that has been put onto the earth. You know, somebody has spent years and years building. And it, it's, you've got this point where the disciples are just looking, they're in awe of this place, this building. And it's important to get out at this point that this was the most sacred place for the Jews and it still is in Judaism today. It's still what what is left of it. Adrian spoke very briefly last week about the Wailing Wall, which is a section about 187 feet that is left. And you know, this this building is so so important to to the Jews. Um, back in the day when when Solomon built it, he prayed this prayer um, that when when prayers were were prayed at the temple or to the temple, that they would go to God because God lived his presence dwelled inside the temple in the Holy of Holies and it was kind of literally God's house. Quite you know, we, we often refer to, to this as God's house, but this place for the Jews it was quite literally where God dwelt. So this this building has so much importance for this this people, you know, that when they when they walk past and they remarked on its beauty, for them there was probably this point where they 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 see God in it almost. And this is probably the point where the lines between God and man and building and all that start to get a little bit blurry. So the disciples are looking at this temple and all of its majesty and its beauty and enjoying the wonder. And then Jesus comes along and says, yeah, do you know what, guys? This place is going to be a ruin in a wreck. I guarantee it. And this statement has quite large, massive implications. Let me give you an example. If I was to... Um, Go with Emily to Emily's mum's on Christmas Day, and she's made this wonderful Christmas dinner. The, there is this beautiful bronze turkey. Actually, I don't like turkey. Chicken. We'll go with chicken. On the table, she's got all the trimmings and the dressing, the cranberry sauce is there, and bread sauce because I like bread sauce. And the the veg just look perfect, except the sprouts. I think they came in after the fall of man to be honest. And what I do is I walk in and I say, oh, Sue, that just looks amazing. And I pick up this chicken and take it out into the garden, drop it in the compost heap, along with all the veg, because it, you know, it can go back to the earth. And I bring in my 20-pack of family share chicken McNuggets from McDonald's and go, there you go, I've catered for us all, look. You don't do it. It's one of those things that you just don't do. You go in and you enjoy it. And it's, it's kind of, you know, it's a bit of a taboo thing. You weren't, you weren't ever supposed to say, I can imagine the disciples at this point were kind of looking at each other and saying, did, did he just say that? Did he just say that this place is going to be ruined and, and thrown down? This is God's house. You know, this is where he dwells, and that, that's kind of like a slight on God, And it, it's almost bordering on blasphemy. And th- there must have been this, this point where they were just thinking, who is this guy? He says he's the son of God, but he's just said that. And they must have been looking around in shock, just thinking, I hope nobody heard that. You ever been in those situations where somebody says something and you just think, uh, that wasn't very PC, <laughs> you know, who heard it? And you're looking over your shoulder just to make sure. It doesn't happen very often, thankfully. But why did Jesus say this? Why, why did he come along and, and ruin their, their, their lovely day out? Why is it that on this wonderful sunny day in Jerusalem, where they're, they're examining the architecture, does he, does he bring about all this, this desolation and this ruin and... Uh, all the other stuff that we can we can drag out of that. Why did he spoil their sightseeing experience? And part of this, I believe, is that their eyes were on the wrong thing, and their focus wasn't quite where it should have been. Now I don't know about any of you. Any of you that have had kids or got kids, um, as have got this little. I think it's called Brio train set with little wooden pieces, and you fit them all together. Yeah. Um, you've probably seen them if not there is there's one that they bring into toddler time that's already kind of welded to the table and you need a degree in engineering to build these things I'm not kidding you do what happens is I get the I'll get them out you know Ruben will say to me daddy build build me my train track so you know I sit down and I I get the bridge because that's the exciting bit and I put the two bridge pieces together and then I start to lay the next bit of the track and then the next bit and I'm thinking this is This is looking good so far this is looking good and I'm making a figure of eight it's not that difficult and I get to the last piece where you put the last straight section and I look in my hand and all I've got is a curved bit and you're just thinking that's not right so you see you go back through the train track and you're pulling pieces apart again and you get to the end you know with your straight piece this time and you put it down and one end goes in perfectly and the next end well, it just doesn't fit, does it? You know, whoever designed this obviously got it wrong. And I spend the next half hour getting really mad and M takes the kids into the dining room to do something else, you know, so Daddy can spend his, you know, next half hour shouting and screaming at the wooden train track because it will not fit, you know. And you know, I get the hammers out and knock it all in. And eventually, it looks kind of all right. There's kinks in it everywhere. The trains don't really go round on it because I've spent so much time spending my focus on one individual little bit of track. You know, I've gone through this train track and tried to build it and rather than keeping my eyes on the end part, my focus on where it all joins up and where it all completes, I spend all my time with the individual pieces going right, curve bit, curve bit, straight bit, curve bit, bridge, you know, and my focus is never on the end. It's never on the results. It's never on the final outcome and the final piece. And I think... There's a little bit of that with what Jesus was saying. He's like, "Your eyes are not on what's to come. You're, you're looking at this now. You're looking at this sort of as it is. Your eyes should be on me, not not the temple. Yes, it's the house of God. It's the place of prayer and where we can learn and we can we can be taught. But guys, your your eyes need to be on me because I'm the one that God sent. And." Um, He's trying to bring this focus back. You know, he, he, there's obviously this thought where th- th- they, they need to be corrected. And obviously, he gives them all these signs and things about things to come, which we'll sort of cover later. But he's trying to bring their view back into line. You know, maybe it's the admiration of the wealth and the riches of the temple. Maybe in the voices he heard that sound that we sometimes make when we're talking about those gadgets or that car or the dress or... The latest guitar pedal that we that we won, do you know that sound yeah my, my you 'll get this in a second my My daughter turned five a week ago um, or two weeks wasn 't it and um, anyway she She'd got some spending money, so we said to her, well, we'll take you out in the afternoon to Toys R Us. We'll go buy, you can go spend some of your birthday money on toys. So she goes around the shelves, and she's picking things off the shelves, and we, we're counting along at, you know, how much she's spent. She gets to the point where she's got a pound left. Now, for those of you that know Toys R Us, there is nothing in that shop that will cost you a pound. And she picks up the tiara, and she's, Daddy, I want this. Daddy? Daddy, how much is this? And you, Well, that's ten pounds, and you've got one pound. Daddy, have you got your wallet with you? And you're like, uh, it might be in the car, you know. But there's that thing in her voice that is, Daddy, and the eyes, you know, and she's looking at you. And for those of you that have got daughters and you think you're macho men, it's the point where you crumble. You cannot help it, can you, Marcel? We've talked about this before. It's the one weakest point of our macho manly lives. (laughs) Our little girls going, please, Daddy. And you you cave, (laughs) you, you give in, and you end up spending the money and all that. But, um, Maybe there's that, that 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 bit where their admiration was on the object that you know they didn't really need or want and things. But you know, maybe that was there. Maybe Jesus heard that t- tone in the voice. You know, maybe it was their their reverence for the temple itself. Um, and I think for us as Christians, that there can be that little bit of that where you know, our focus isn't really on what what it's all about. The, we can we can create things within church that we start to lose sight of god on you know we we get we get so tied into to 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 building projects and certain theologies or you know a new way of teaching and doing things and we begin to equate those things to god and we're not really focusing on god anymore that line has blurred out a little bit. And those things aren't bad. They're not wrong. But it's when they start to become our focus and the important part. You know, we, 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 we start to follow the new celebrity pastor. I remember this a few years ago. There were lots of celebrity pastors popping up with different ministries and, you know, come and check out this guy. He's, he's the, the healing man sort of thing. And it, we kind of follow the celebrity rather than what, God is doing yes God is working but you know where's our focus is it on God or is it on the pastor and his wonderful work and the ministry team that he takes around with him and sadly we often see where those things start to end up and they don't always work out and they 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 fall down or they just end and you see we're told that when we see all these things starting to happen that we are to lift up our heads and there's a big thing here. Jesus is saying, lift up your heads because your redemption is near. Focus. Pick your head back up from in front of your feet and look ahead. Look at me. Follow me. We're to keep our eyes on the, on the one that really matters because he is what we're living for. And I think Jesus wanted to kind of shake the disciples out of that kind of thinking. And he wants to do that with us as well. You know, He wants to remind us, I'm what your your attention should be on. And, you know, we get it wrong, and we we do, and I will put my hands up first to that. The amount of times that I get so drawn into the new worship album or whatever, and and I love it and and things. And those things aren't wrong, but I have to keep my focus on God. I have to keep my focus on what really matters. Because all those things are going to pass away. All of those things at some point are just going to crumble or disappear or... All the Hillsong United band will get old and not produce their music anymore. It's not going to last, you know. And we need to let our trappings of faith or religion or whatever you want to call it, that, you know, the building or a certain way of worshipping or a certain set of doctrines, you know, and beliefs, we need to not get, let them get in the way anymore. We need to keep our focus on Jesus. You know... That, that passage, it gets quite dark, I think. It gets quite, quite gloomy. And uh, f- the reality is that a lot of us here, we're probably not going to get t- tortured and murdered for our, our faith like some of our, our brothers and sisters around the world. But we will all come to days, and our, so I don't to say I'm the prophet of doom, but Jesus said it first, that's all right. We will come to days and lives when our worlds will feel like they're falling apart. You know, we all know, I think one of the common things in this room other than that we are here this morning is that we all know pain and suffering. At some point in our lives, we, we've, we've gone into those dark times and those dark places, and we find ourselves surrounded maybe by our enemies. We get betrayed by life or even friends and family. And that sort of stuff is awful, and it's the kind of stuff that Jesus is talking about in that passage. And the, the thing is that when those days come, and they, they will, they will come, let's be real about this, where's our faith? What is our faith built upon? Is it built upon the wonderful worship that Steve brings on a Sunday? And it is wonderful. It's great. He leads us so well, this, you know, this morning, and, and it's fantastic, and it's one of my favorite bits of coming to church, but that is not going to get me through my troubles, and my hard times. The latest theology or teaching or DVD that's presented in in the most amazing way is not going to get me through when times are hard, when times are tough. The only thing, the only thing that is going to get me through that is God, is turning to Jesus. Only our faith there can give us strength to stand up on the worst days of our lives. And, And I believe that that Jesus didn't want his disciples to, to forget that truth. I think that's why he said all that stuff. We can pull all the other theories and theologies out of that, and they're great, like I say, to, to talk about. But I think the bottom line is Jesus wants the disciples to remember him because he is their savior. And Jesus says in the, the end, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Jesus is, again, he's reminding the disciples, you know, everything that I tell you, everything that I teach you, it is the most valuable thing that you can ever live by. He's telling them not to lose sight and try not to worry. When those times are there, keep your focus on me and what I teach you because those things will not pass away. Those things will not fail you. And he's telling us not to lose sight, but to keep watch, because back then, he was going to win. He was going to that cross, and he was going to defeat death, and he was going to defeat sin, and then he was coming back. And he promises that he is coming back. He really is, but not yet. You know, a few years ago, um, i was just going to start to draw this, draw this in a little bit, but um, a few years ago... I'm trying to think. Eight years, yeah, eight years. So back in quick bit of maths, 2006, Ben and Ruth um, introduced me to one of the, the well, the most wonderful person. Yeah, you know, one of the most wonderful people that I will, would ever have the the privilege of meeting. This person is amazing. You know, I, I can't help but when they're around, you know, be drawn to them. And uh, it was. Jack, I love him, Bauer. And uh, Jack is one of my all-time heroes. I've got so much admiration for this man. It is unreal. And uh, I don't know if any of you have seen the TV series 24. If you haven't, go and watch it because it's brilliant. Um, I don't want to spoil anything for any of you out there, but there is this point in, I think it's season two, and there is this... um, Let me give you a quick quick heads up. Jack is the saviour of America. He is also the saviour of England and Russia and China and probably soon the rest of the world as well. Okay, if you watch this, you get into that and he he just seems to always win out, which is great. Um, But there's this point in um, the second season that that Ben and Ruth had had lent me and Emily and Somebody's armed this atomic bomb, and they've left it in the city of Los Angeles, and they've got to get this out, otherwise everybody in that city is going to be wiped out, you know, everyone is going to die, and Jack takes it upon himself. To, to load this thing onto an airplane he cannot defuse it he cannot stop this bomb from going off if he tries it's just going to detonate and he's got a timer and he, he gets this bomb onto the plane and and he, he gets into the cockpit and he's all on his own and he, he sets off into the sky to fly this thing into the desert so that when it blows up nobody will die except for him and he's, he's delivering this radio transmission, a recording for his daughter, just to let her know how much he loves him. At this point, this is how much I love Jack Barrett. I am f- streaming with tears. The the heartache that is going on inside me is just, I, I cannot explain it. It's just one of those moments where I'm getting close to, to shouting at the telly, No, Jack, don't do it. Get off that plane. Send somebody else, you know, because you've got to survive this. You've got to make it. And... It's just horrible. He's, he's flying off, and you can see the sun rising, and you just think, as that sun rises, his sun is going to end, and it's just not going to be good. And, and I turn my face, I can't bear to watch anymore. And I look away, and there is this moment where all of a sudden I realize that I don't have to worry anymore. And it's not because Jack is a fictional character, because I don't believe that he is, but... <laughs> There is this moment where all of those emotions just drain and relief sets in. Because as I've averted my gaze from the telly, I realize that Ben and Ruth have also lent me seasons three and four. <laughs> Jack is not going to die. Yes. In fact, he's also going to be around for another four seasons and have the rest of the worst days of his life that are about to come. But the point is, Jack isn't going to die, and the, the reason that I know that is because I can see the end result in the next DVD box. He's still on the cover, you know. He's, I know that he's going to come through, and it spoiled it slightly for me, but I realized that the pain and the anguish and the anxiety and the heartache and the blood and the sweat and the tears that I'd shed for Jack through... About 36 hours of my life. They're a little bit unnecessary. Okay, they were a bit unnecessary. Jack was going to live another day. And the the point of that rather silly story is that when we look at Jesus, he's coming back. He's got an end plan. He's got it all worked out. He knows exactly what he's doing He says often, I am the beginning, and I am the end, and I'm everything in between. You know, God said to Moses, I am that I am. I've got it all sorted. It's all figured out. All you have to do is focus on me and trust in me. And so Jesus is letting us know that although we may go through, and we will, I'm not into prosperity gospel and all that sort of stuff. I don't don't agree with it, don't believe in any of that sort of stuff. Sadly, I do believe in that we will go through hard times because we are people and we are living in a very, very real world. Sometimes life may be, and it can be horrific, but one day, all of it will pass away. And I do not want to make light of anyone's troubles, believe me, I really do not. Okay, me and Emma have been through a pretty tough couple of years and I know what that's felt like and I know there are people in far, far worse situations than we will ever go through. So believe me, I do not want to be flippant about this and the things that we may go through. But through all that, lift up our heads. Let's keep our focus exactly where it should be on Jesus because he'll bring us through one day one day he will. Let's keep our eyes on the one who paid it all, the one who goes before us, and the one who is already at the end, waiting for us. Let us, when we get weighed down with the the troubles and the burdens and the worries that life throws at us, keep our eyes on Jesus, the ultimate goal, the Prince of Peace. I'm just going to play a short song. I just want us to kind of wrap up with this. and um, The word's I just, I just want the words to to speak to you in this now. Um, it's just a really powerful song. So Lord, I pray that as we as we go today, Father God, as we as we leave this building and we get on with our routines in life, Lord God, I pray that, Father, whatever we're going through, whether it be good, bad, or somewhere in the middle, Father God, that we will not lose sight of you, Father God. We remember always, Father, that you are the beginning, you are at the end, Father, that you have everything sorted, Lord God, and that you will. Never fail us, God. You are always there. Father God, I pray that we find peace and comfort in that, Lord God, whatever we're going through right now, Father. And uh, let us never forget, Father. Let us keep our focus, our attention on you and not of the things that surround you, Lord God. Let us not blur the lines, Father God, between between church and you, Father God. Let us not blur the lines between life and you, Father God, but remember that you are... God, that you are God. Amen.